The Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging presents The Art of Aging, information and tips on how to experience life more abundantly as we age. Our hosts are John King and Reverend Beth Long Higgins, Executive Director of the Ruth Frost Parker Center in Marion, Ohio, an initiative of the United Church Homes. John, today we have a special episode that features an interview with another podcaster, Leslie Gold. That's right, Beth. Leslie's podcast is called A Life Story and features interviews with people over the age of 85 who have lived extraordinary lives. Leslie has years of experience in the radio industry and often combines historical audio to supplement each story. Leslie, tell me what your background in radio is. Well, I was a radio talk show host and broadcaster in New York City for 15 years. We had about a million daily listeners, and I did that for 10 years. I also did political interviewing for Fox News Radio for another six years, and I stopped in 2017. I turned my attention to other interests and business ventures then. And what led you to do a podcast? Well, in the 2020 pandemic shift, so to speak, I had a hankering to connect with people. So I decided I would like to speak to older folks, folks who have really lived a life, folks 80, 90, 100, 103 years old, who have had extraordinary lives. And that's how the podcast started. And I call it a life's story. And I'm going to spell it. It's A-L-I-F-E-S-S-T-O-R-Y, a life story. And then as I put out each new episode, I realized that every one of these stories with these extraordinary people pushed back on the preconceived notions that we have about aging. If you ask the average person to talk about, well, what's your impression of what your, your life is going to be at 90 or 100 years old, if you get to live that long, you'll hear words like feeble or needy or frail or ugly or lonely and after I got about seven or eight episodes into the first season of A Life Story, I realized that's not what I'm finding at all. Let's go on to Rubina, 99 years old, and she's a transgender woman? 99-year-old Rubina Asti was born Robert Asti, was a World War II veteran, a pilot, born a man, and transitioned to a woman in the mid-70s, in the 1970s. Of course, in the 1970s, none of us knew anything about this. We didn't understand it, and neither did his family. So he became estranged from his wife and children at the time, lost his job as a vice president of financial institution because that was too strange and too weird for them as well. So Robert turned Robina, and Robina meets a man and falls in love. She tells Norwood, her beau, that she used to be a man, and Norwood leaves, because that is a story of her life up to that point. Everybody leaves. About 10 days, two weeks later, Norwood has thought it over, and he comes back. And he says, I don't care what you were. I don't care who you were. I only want to know you. They get married and live happily ever after until Norwood is 97 and Robina is 94 and Norwood sadly dies. Robina then files for her social security benefits as a widow. And the social security says, no, I'm sorry, we're not going to pay you because you were a man when you got married. And Robina says, 
no, you're wrong. Here's my driver's license from that time. I was a woman. Here's my passport. I was a woman. Here's my FAA flying license, which is still active. It says female from that time. The government reconsiders and still says no. And Robina gets mad at 94, really for the first time in her life. And it was interesting to me because she didn't need the money. But the idea of someone again rejecting her life, she had had it. And so she sues Social Security and she not only wins, she changes the policy for everybody that comes after her. Now, I spoke to her at 99 and she was about to go into the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's oldest active pilot and the world's oldest active flight instructor. So that's Robina's story. She passed a few weeks shy of her 100th birthday. Another of your episodes covers a 94-year-old Beverly Schottenstein. Beverly Schottenstein is a lady of means, but she's not financially sophisticated. Her husband earned the money 30 years ago. He was a part of the Schottenstein retail empire. And when I say empire, I mean empire, DSW shoes, outdoor outfitters, Value City, big lots. They're huge and they're still huge today. Today, the company's worth in the billions. When Beverly was defrauded, swindled, and gaslighted by her adult grandsons, they worked for JP Morgan. They took her money to manage it and they managed it for their own purposes, not hers. They invested her money in inappropriate ways for a 94-year-old woman. They denied her her statements. When she would ask questions about it, they told her that she had dementia and she didn't know what she was asking about. They told her neighbors where she lived in her condo in Florida that she had dementia. Beverly does not have dementia. Now, Beverly is not a fighter by nature. And as I say, she's not a sophisticated investor, but she does know right from wrong. And she fought back at 94, taking everyone to court, including the country's biggest bank, J.P. Morgan. By all accounts, Beverly was way in way over her head, but she won. And the lesson to me is that we can be forceful at any age. If you fight the good fight, you'll find allies who will help you. In Beverly's case, her caregiver, her Jamaican caregiver, Dawn Henry, could see what was going on when her grandsons would come into her apartment and bully her around. And her caregiver picked up the phone and called another granddaughter and said, I don't know what's going on, but I don't like it. With that, Beverly, with the aid of her caregiver, with the aid of her granddaughter, they all testified at the trial. The granddaughter helped direct the forensic accounting that needed to be done. Beverly could not have known to do that, but Kathy Schottenstein knew. And so I would say, if you raise your hand and say something feels wrong, you will find allies to help you fight. Another extraordinary person you interview is Daphne Self. Daphne Self is from the UK. She was a model in her 20s, reasonably successful working model, and then quit and raised her family and embraced gardening and a whole bunch of other things until her husband died. She did not model for 50 years. In her 70s, 
She was still in great shape and she was thin. In her 70s, someone asked her to participate in a charity fashion show, which she walked the runway and she thought, oh, I got nothing else to do. I'll do that. At that charity fashion show was Models One, which is a agency in the UK that hires models. And they saw Daphne and they thought, hmm, this might be kind of a novelty for us to have an older model. So they signed Daphne at 70. No one expected it to last more than a couple of years. Daphne is 92. She's still modeling. And when I say modeling, you've seen her pictures, Eric. I mean real modeling. I'm not talking about Sears catalog modeling. I'm talking about spreads in vogue and Hugo Boss, really high fashion, high editorial modeling shots. And she is more in demand now at 92 than she ever was at 22. Tell me about Eddie Goldfarb, the toy maker. Eddie Goldfarb made toys. He made over 800 toys. He was a toy inventor. I speak to him. He is 99 years old, still walks two and a half miles a day, by the way. He's just a delightful, funny guy. Became a toy inventor because always had a hankering to invent something. And it came from no money at all. And uh, the cheapest molds to make were plastic molds for toys. I guess his most famous toy is the yakety yak teeth, the chattering teeth. I don't know if you remember that. It was sort of a wind-up toy of disembodied teeth. It was his first one too, wasn't it? It was the very first one. Do you know you can still buy it today? It was invented in the 60s. The bubble gun, which was the first time you could shoot bubbles out of a device other than a little wand sticking it into a jar. And... He was an independent inventor. It was always important for him to retain his independence. He dealt with Mattel and Ideal and Hasbro and every big company put out his toys. Eddie is still inventing today. He's 99. But Eddie's life is really about expressing your creativity and finding a way to do it your whole life. He's been an optimist his whole life, even though there were many points in his life where he had no money and no opportunity. He never, ever thought, I'm not going to get where I need to go. I know I'll always find a way to get where I need to go. And that optimism has stayed with him today. There is a study that shows that people who are generally optimistic can uh, live on average 15 years longer, 15 years longer than people who are not optimistic. So there really is something to developing, encouraging, and retaining your optimism throughout your life. Okay. Tell me about Millie. Millie Keller. Millie is 103. I interviewed Millie at work, her work. The reason it's notable is because it was the pandemic and Millie was on the job every day. And it's a retail store where she is the bookkeeper, a beautiful store called Zola Keller. And they sell gowns for brides. They sell gowns for charity events. It's, there's beads everywhere. There's sequins everywhere when you walk in. It's a super glamorous store. But of course, during the pandemic, no one was having events. So it was unusually quiet. And I'm sure Millie could have done her work at home, but she chose to come into work every day. And I interviewed Millie. I went to her 
little back office, which was the size of a tiny walk-in closet. And there were notes everywhere and pieces of paper everywhere. And I spoke to her coworkers as well. So Millie is the bookkeeper. And she decided to get involved in this business with her daughter-in-law, Zola Keller, the person that the store is named after, in her 60s, when most people would be thinking about retirement. Uh, Millie threw in as a partner then, and she's been the bookkeeper for ever since. The store is very successful, and she arrives at work every day for a long time. She took the bus to work, the bus, because she doesn't drive. She lives by herself. She cleans her own home. She said, yeah, I still clean my own home. It's not the best, but it's clean enough for me. And the only concession that Millie's made to age is that she wears a life alert, but she's the one time she fell and couldn't get up, she didn't use it because she was in her nightgown and she was embarrassed and she didn't want whoever would respond to her to see her in her <laughs> nightgown. So she wears the life alert. She just hasn't used it. And um, Millie has complete self-sufficiency. And that self-sufficiency really radiates off her. If you offered Millie to help her carry her groceries from the store, she'd say, no, I don't need it. But then she'd invite you in for a Danish. So she was just a delightful lady. And her life, I think, exemplifies that it's never too old to start something new. Millie threw in and started this business at a time when most people would be thinking about collecting their social security and winding down. But it turns out Millie had a lot more business to do, and she's still doing her business. And lastly, David Ledick. David pushes back on the idea that when you get to be in your 80s or 90s or later, you're going to be lonely. David Ledick is 91. He had a big, big life in his early years. He was a naval officer and then a ballet dancer. You wouldn't normally put those two things together in the same sentence. And then the creative director for Revlon during the Mad Men years. But he just had his 91st birthday party and he rolled up on a bike with a dressed all in white with a white scarf, you know, flapping in the breeze and gloves and a helmet. And he rolled into his party that way, which was done at an outdoor terrace. And David challenged my thinking by saying, why can't the last 30 years of your life be the best? And as I was thinking of the answer to that question, he said, mine are. And David has more friends now than he ever did, which is saying a lot because he had a big life with a lot of people around him. And it was a paradigm shift that I've embraced since then. And not just because it's optimistic or because it's self-serving, but because these stories from a Life Story podcast bear that out, that your last 30 years of life can be your best. And his are, now it's, certain things have to go your way. You have to have no great physical injuries or illnesses that really debilitate you. But with that, you might know this, Eric, are you familiar with the happiness curve? Yes. It's a natural stage of life. And it's kind of a great paradox of happiness that the decades where we usually experience our greatest worldly success are also the same years when our happiness craters. But the good news is if you're listening right now to the art of aging and you're in your 40s or 50s, the good news is you are likely to end up much happier 
than you are right now. You are going to be in a much happier place. And I will tell you from the honor I've had of interviewing these people that we've been talking about in a life story, every one of them has told me that's true. Why do you think that is? It's about facing loss, something we all fear, I think. Of course, when you speak to people who are 94 and 99 and Millie 103, they about lived everybody in their life. Eddie Goldfarb has, is 99. He's outlived every friend he's had, his brothers. Millie's outlived her sisters. When you get to be that old, you experience a lot of loss. That's the cost of living that long. There's a privilege to living into very old age and a cost, and that's the cost. And in every case, I've asked people about handling that loss so it doesn't rob you of your daily joy. Folks who are telling me they're happier now than they've ever been, they're in a very happy place in their life. How can that be when they've experienced so much loss? Robina said to me, so you lose a friend and you think, how could I be happy? I just lost my sister or my friend. She said, here's the way I think about it. I can be happy because I had that time with them. Because being so close to them tells me that I am capable of being close to other people as well. And so I am grateful for the time that I've had with them. I derived a lot of happiness from my years with them. And I know that I can meet new people and derive happiness from those relationships as well. This podcast was funded in part by the Dayton Foundation, Del Mar Encore Fellows Initiative, and the Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging, a program of United Church Homes. Audio production and interviews were conducted by Del Mar Fellow Eric Johnson.